Welcome to Magnetic Success, the podcast for ambitious female entrepreneurs ready to ditch the struggle, unlock their inner power, break through their hidden mindset blocks, and up-level their life. I'm your host, Kirsty Kamarowskis, and I'm a mindset expert, success coach, and seven-figure entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be sharing powerful mindset tips, manifestation techniques, and spiritual tools and practices to help you embody the most successful version of you so you can leverage the power of your mind and law of attraction to transform your business from the inside out and create a life without limits. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Magnetic Success Podcast. So today I've got a really special guest. It's Natalie Britt, and she is here to talk to me all about habits. Now, I know the word habits doesn't always sound very sexy, and it probably creates a little bit more resistance than excitement in most people, because I know many of us in the past have tried to change things, create change, change our habits, try new things, and you only have to think of New Year's resolutions and diets to be triggered with memories of how changing habits are hard and how it's difficult to create change in our lives. But habits are crucial to success and they have a massive impact on the results that any entrepreneur creates in their business. And the amazing thing about habits is that as soon as the behavior has been programmed, it becomes automatic. So you start acting that way, doing those things on autopilot. It just becomes the way it is. So it's actually a success hack that's super important, super crucial, and it can really, really change your business and your life with some upfront conscious effort, but then after that, it's working for you and your business. So I'm really excited to have Natalie here with me. Natalie is a success coach who helps business owners shape their habits so they can build their dream business without tanking their health or relationships in the process. She's founder of Big Happy Life and creator of the Be Set Behavior Change Method. So thank you so much for joining us today, Natalie. I am super excited to be talking to you and hearing all about your journey and the gold nuggets that you have to share when it comes to habits. And I'd just love for you to give us a quick introduction and tell us a little bit about your journey, what's led you here to helping other entrepreneurs change their habits so that they can change their business and lives. Awesome. I'm so happy to be here. And you are so right, habits, not sexy at all. It's one of the things I actually struggled with. I was calling myself a habit coach. And then a, a lady I was doing a guest expert slot with, she was like, nobody searches for a habit coach. No one wants a habit coach. You need to be a success coach. And I was like, okay. So true. It's a very helpful tip, actually, because <laughs> she was right. And my business has changed a little bit as a result. But the thing with habits is they define everything. Like how you feel runs on habitual patterns. How you think runs on habitual patterns. And those two things together determine what you do. So in the absence of being aware, like we think of habits related to food and alcohol and stuff like that, but most people don't realize that they have habitual patterns for running out of energy. They have habitual patterns for getting stuck in situations where like something plays around in your mind for an hour when actually if you'd been able to let it go in a minute you'd have gotten back to work those are all habitual patterns that you can unpick and you can change and so in terms of like when I talk to business owners the one thing that everyone wants more of is time the one thing that will give you time back is changing your habits like it's I love that so true as well so true yeah and I what I guess what started me on this journey and how I've ended up dealing with habits the way that I do is because I was training habits in a corporate environment for many years. And then because of the type of work I was doing, there was a lot of work around people's emotions, empathy, listening. So for leaders, like how do you bring out the best in people? How do you get people to think as strongly as they can, to be as creative as they can and perform at their best? How do you bring that out in people on a habitual basis? So a lot of my work was around that and dealing with people's emotions made me think, you know, I must be quite an empathic person and blah, blah, blah. And so when it came time to start our family, I decided I wanted to adopt. And I thought that all of my skills would make me a great mom. And uh, it was a much harder journey than I was anticipating. So I actually struggled quite a lot with depression after the children arrived. At the time, they were seven and 17 months. So it was quite a big transition. 
And so a lot of the work that I knew in the corporate environment, just it wasn't strong enough, actually. And then I started to doubt myself. I started to think, like, you know, was I, was I training people on a load of BS? Like, was this stuff even real in the first place? And what I came to realize was that when you come up against things that you feel powerless to change, what is underneath that is an emotional pattern. And that often takes more depth of exploration, sometimes a little bit of help in terms of more subconscious work. And so it took me on this journey that led me away from the practicalities of habits, the stuff you'll learn about in the books, and took me more to emotional patterns that we are almost 100% oblivious to a lot Mm. of the time that drive us to think and feel the way we do, and that those things then come to determine the outcomes we get. So it really was my efforts to be a better mom that led me into this version of my business now. I think that's absolutely fantastic. What a story. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we come up against, and we we are all going to come up against like changing our lives, different life circumstances, things that we're not expecting, things that we are planning, but things that we're not planning. And like you say, they tend to trigger, we think we can handle stuff on a logical and a rational level and a practical level, but it tends to trigger in us things that are sitting right below the surface because most of our mind's subconscious anyway. We're like, we don't know what's in there. We think 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and we are oblivious to what most of those are, like the majority, the biggest bulk. So it's interesting, isn't it, that it then triggers something in you that you then had to go off and actually investigate it a bit to kind of figure out, right, it's another layer, isn't it? It's like peeling the layers of an onion. Like you hear it all the time in personal development and that's exactly what it is. So how did habits help you? in that situation when to be a better mum, you know, what did you do? Well, it kind of weird actually, <laughs> because it wasn't, you know, a lot of the things they'll teach you if you go on a parenting course or something, which actually as an adopter, you get a lot of training. A lot of birth parents have said to me afterwards, they're like, I needed that training. That sounds really helpful. <laughs> and it was, and there's a lot about, you know, how to talk to children, how to listen so that they'll talk to you, all of that stuff. And that those kinds of habits are amazing. But Some of the things that I personally had to change, one habit that I had in particular, and a lot of people aren't going to like this one, (laughs) it's not very popular as a habit change choice, even though most people know it's not ideal. But when my children went to bed at night, I'd sort of go, it's done. It's another day. Everyone survived. We're all okay. And I would drink wine, eat Maltesers, watch Netflix. And it would be my time. That was like, you know, mommy's downtime. What I didn't realize was that alcohol was actually making me more anxious. It was stressing my body because it wrecked my sleep as well. I wasn't sleeping very well. So I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think, oh God, like here we go again. You know, that was my body was tired. My mind was tired. And I hadn't actually recovered in any way from the previous day. I had stopped stressing myself for an hour in terms of like the everyday stresses, but I didn't realize I was still stressing my body physically by putting something into it that it then had to deal with. And so one of the biggest habit changes for me that helped me as a mom was quitting drinking. I quit for hundred days to start with because the idea of going teetotal was like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially when you're using it as something, because we live in a culture where it is, it's everywhere. Like everything's about drinking, isn't it? And so it's really, really normal to, like you say, when the kids are in bed, that to just have a glass of wine just to relax. And we teach ourselves that this is how we relax. Like this is the only way we can relax. And it's just because it's helping us shut off all the senses, isn't it? It's helping us shut down a little bit, but yeah. that comes with its own price as well. Absolutely. Well, all, all pleasure related habits, when overused or used as a like stress medication for want of a better way to put it all of them will make the situation worse Mm. all of them and the reason is because I don't know how technical you want me to go but with if I go too technical stop me but basically we have a kind of neurotransmitter hormone in our bodies and brains called dopamine most people are familiar with dopamine and it used to be thought of as a kind of reward neurotransmitter. So it releases when you get something good. But what we now know about dopamine is that it's released in anticipation as well. That's what gets you to do things. So when you feel a sense of 
just can't be bothered. It's really hard to motivate yourself. Usually that's a low dopamine level. But when you overstimulate dopamine by overconsuming things, what that does is in your brain's mechanisms, everything is trying to stay regulated. So when you get too much of something, even something good, the brain will downregulate it so that you stay in balance, which means anytime you don't have that thing, you are going to experience a lower low than you would have if things were in balance. So for me, drinking every single night, it pressed hard on that pain side of the balance. If you think of pain, pleasure, the more you do it, the harder you press, you, or the kind of the more you drop your baseline down towards pain, yeah. which means it takes less for you to experience the pain of the stress. And the more you then seek the pleasure of the thing. Yeah. And well, this is how addictions are formed, isn't it? Precisely. Precisely. I mean, there's also there's an emotional layer to addiction as well. Like addiction's a big, yeah. big topic, but it, that's certainly part of the story. Yeah. It's incredible, really. So what did you do then? So you had the hundred days off first because mm-hmm. you didn't want to commit to the whole, you know, teetotal because yeah. that's a lifestyle change and lifestyle choice and everything. So you did the hundred days. So how, how did you even implement that? So forgetting that we're really talking about just alcohol and so we can talk about it broadly so it can apply to any habit really, can't it? How, what was your process for being able to change a habit that you had become reliant on and you were getting pleasure from and it didn't feel like it was doing you any harm. It didn't feel bad. It was almost like a treat and a reward. Mm. So that's got a lot of charge to it, isn't it? When you're trying to change a habit. So how did you, what did you do? Well, the process I used is now one that I use with clients and it's, it's relatively simple. You could do this with yourself. Like you can take yourself through the process. The basic thing is figure out what you value and use that. But it's, there's a little twist to it because most of us will say, oh, you know, I value family and I value health and I value this and I value that. And I refer to those as aspirational values because they're things we want to value But in the moment, we don't always live as if we value them. So, you know, my children are the most important people in my life to me, but I'm still going to work every hour God sends. And that's what it is. Like, if you have that, then what that says is something else is being valued. You're saying your kids are your value, but something else is your value in the moment where you have to make the decision. So the object of habit change is to forget the big picture and look at the little picture. What is the thing that drives your behavior? So often the things that we value enough to drive our behavior change are things that we don't really necessarily love. And the thing I found for me, I call, so the aspirational values are the, you know, health and family and all that stuff. And those are great. And we do value those things, but they don't change our in the moment behavior. Not usually. In the moment is often things that I call them your actual values, the things that will change you. And one of mine is attention. I love attention. I'm an only child. I was always like, mommy, play with me. (laughs) And so attention is a big driver for me. So I started a blog and I wrote the blog every single day. And I got a little kind of, my little dopamine hit, I guess, was switched to that because people read the blog and they commented and it was a little buzz. And it also, I think, changed my perception of the pain of going through the early stages of not drinking because I knew I would have something really good to write about. So the blog was about what you were going through at the yeah. time. So it gave you leverage as well. It gave you accountability because accountability is important as well, isn't it? Definitely. It's being able to help being accountable. But yeah, values, I mean, the neurological levels of change pyramid for NLP, mm. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but for our listeners who aren't watching this video, it's like a triangle, isn't it? And at the top, it's purpose and mission, it's then values and identity, then values and belief. And these this is the top half of the pyramid. And in order to create any change in your life, these are all subconscious and we need to be creating change at that sort of level because they are the drivers for our behavior. They are going to change everything below, which is behavior capabilities, environment. And the lower three levels are just transactional levels. And all it means is if we go on a diet or we want to quit drinking or something, we will go to those lower levels. So we'll we'll cut out sugar. We might go to the gym so that we can lose weight, for example. But actually, if we've not addressed ourselves at an identity level or a values level, because values drive behavior, then we're still valuing Netflix, wine, Maltesers more 
then we are actually losing that weight. Like it's more important to us because we've got to have so much more attachment to it and reward. So I love what you're talking about because it really is, we really need to address these things, change habits, all of this stuff at the top, you know, at the deeper levels. Mm -hmm. So I love that, just finding a value. And also with your blog, it was like a reward as well, isn't it? So it's something that makes you feel good, something that's making you feel accomplished. So you're still getting those releases that make you feel good. And then because you're filling your body with that and your mind with that, suddenly that other need goes away because you've found somewhere else to get it from. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it did. It made such a big difference. The other thing it actually did, you've just, what you were just talking about made me think about another level of this that I hadn't remembered right now was that moment, that time in the evening was for me, like a little, I deserve this. And so the other thing that I had to do, because that was something I valued very heavily, was I had to figure out some other way the for me, I get this for me feeling still has to be fulfilled. Otherwise, you go seeking it all the time. But I, I found it in little places that also helped me. Like my son, actually at that time, he was very, very young. So I would brush his teeth for him. But he always, because obviously adoption trauma and all the rest of it, he wasn't very comfortable with me to start with. That was one of the big pains or kind of hurts in the early stages was yeah. he wouldn't come near me and he would cry. But when I brushed his teeth, he let me do that and he would snuggle into my neck. And like stopping to be in that moment was a like, this is so lovely and this is for me. Like I started to think about because I had to take wine out, what does it give me? And then I had to look for other places where that reward existed. And I found it in little moments like that, but it sort of drives your attention in different ways. I love that. So really getting present, getting Mm -hmm. present to your life. And actually, instead of always, because our minds were always racing 10 to the dozen, especially as entrepreneurs, God, I want to get here and I want to get here. And we focus so heavily on where we're not and trying to get to this elusive place over there. But really, and I mean, I know that you have a lot to say on time as well, so we might have to schedule in another one of these, but we only ever have now, right? We only have ever, ever, ever have this present moment. And that is all we have. So the more present we can get to that, the more happiness we can actually uncover and the more of those rewards and the more of those moments, like you're saying. So I think I think that's so such a helpful way for us to look at it. So thank you for sharing that with us, because I'm sure that the listeners will be thinking, oh, that could be this for me and that could be that for me. And this doesn't have to be about wine. Again, this can, and maybe what we'll talk about in a minute is some of the habits that you coach entrepreneurs out of. So we can just overlay some other examples. But yeah. I know for a lot of people, wine is a big thing. Like it is something that, you know, I speak to a lot of people myself that don't, that end up having a glass of wine every night and they don't necessarily want to. But they're just doing it for the, exactly the same reason. It's just the the release, the relax, the my time. So, yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I think, you know, with business owners, like all of that stuff I've shared has a lot of emotional baggage for me because it was related to my journey as a mom. But the weird thing is so much of it fit into my business. And that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing. Because the thing is, like, in the same way as I lost my patience with my children, I lost my patience at work as well. So to be like, oh, you know, I'm creating this lead magnet or I'm doing something ah, it's not working. For God's sake, this is so annoying. And I'd, you know, stomp off and leave it for an hour because I'd be like, I can't do this. I'm so sick of it. Nothing works, blah, blah, blah. Being able to get that centered kind of groundedness that I had to get in order to deal with losing the wine, it addressed those things too. So like I just lost less time in my business. And I think that's when it comes to productivity, A lot of the times it's not about those moments where you're in flow and you're doing something you love. Like we know how to do that, but it's the, you know, catty email that you get that sends you off somewhere or computer won't talk to printer or, you know, like little things that if they send you off somewhere and make you go, oh, forget it. And you leave your desk or you can't manage your way through it. The likelihood is that there are habits in place that lead to that pattern showing up in other areas of your life. Yeah. If you can find those and address them, the pattern will go away everywhere, not just yeah. in the work or in the parenting or in the, like the pattern will disappear. Yeah, totally. Um, and I found that myself at the beginning of my journey through meditation, 
just being able to quiet my mind and become aware of my thoughts. Like I didn't even know it was a thing, you know, like as in awareness, becoming aware of your thoughts. I'm like, what? But like I said, 60, 70,000 thoughts a day. And we can probably, we're probably aware of a couple of hundred, right? And you, because you're noticing this, because you, what you're doing is you're noticing something about you. So you can apply it to anything and everything. And then you just become more aware as you go through the day and you notice your thoughts, you notice what you're thinking. So you can start breaking those patterns. So yeah, and anything that we do when it comes to personal development in our business on ourselves is going to have a ripple effect on our relationships and our family life on the fun that we have. Like it's going to have a, a ripple effect on everything. That's why it's so worthwhile doing. It's like you do one thing, but it affects everything. Yeah. And yeah. it's just and meditation fantastic. is another one that's like that. Meditation yeah. is huge. And I think for that very reason, and again, it's a bit like the wine. No one loves the idea. When you hear meditation, if you're not already meditating, most people are like, oh God, here we go again. Yeah. It's like yeah. the drinking water thing. I know, I know, I know. Leave me alone. But I tried it. I tried it. It didn't work. Yeah. yeah. And I think because most people, if you've tried it and become frustrated, the likelihood is you thought you were doing it wrong. I know that was mm. my issue for a long time. It was like, my mind's supposed to be quiet. My mind won't be quiet. Be quiet. Yeah. It's like you're trying to headlock your mind to just shut up. But that's not the object of meditation. So there's a relaxedness to it, a playfulness to it. So if you're taking it very seriously and you're like, there's a way to do this, then the probability is it's just going to, it's going to annoy you. But the goal of meditation is to become the observer of your thoughts. Yeah. And to allow them to pass. It's not to stop them and to quiet them. It's the biggest misconception, really, isn't it? Because we're still quieting our mind by doing that. Yeah. And I listen to Abraham Hicks a lot. And she says, even, you know, she's a massively raving about meditation all the time. But she's like, it's even like you're just getting yourself to think about something really boring. Mm -hmm. Because in that, you are quieting your mind by listening to a clock, by listening to your, focusing on your breath. Like you have quieted the mind, but everyone thinks they've got to get to that place. The monks place of just complete stillness and silence but you know if if you want to live like that then it might take a few decades of practice doing that but yeah. that's not yeah. but like you say and then we get in our own heads and we're like we're not doing it right we're not doing it wrong yeah. what I really loved about what you just said as well it's that battle so let's talk about that when we're creating a habit so anyone that's tried to meditate or anyone in their business that's been told by uh, recommended by coach to do an activity that they don't necessarily feel much resonance with and they're trying to force it they're trying to force this new habit in their business but they're coming up against themselves like how would you coach your clients to deal with that battle that inner battle so the first thing that I would do is say rather than battle listen and what I mean by that is listen to the thoughts not engaging with them from an observer perspective in much the same way as you would listen to somebody you love telling you what's wrong so this is about bringing empathy and compassion to yourself because what we often do in those moments is we turn on ourselves. You should be doing this. Come on. Anyone else can do this. You know, Margaret, who's on Facebook, she's just launched this and she's just done that. And she's off doing blah. And you are sitting here lazy. Like you can't put yourself together. You're procrastinating. Like, you know, it just goes on. <laughs> and it's a much more productive way to deal with that is to think a part of me has a problem with this. Which part of me? Like, what is it that's the issue here? What am, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? And where does that lead me? And often I find either journaling so I can write it all down, or if I feel like I'm going to lose my thread that way, then I sometimes just voice note record something just to talk it out. And the reason that I recommend doing one of those two is because a lot of these feelings and experiences exist below the level of consciousness. But at that level, we don't have language centers. So it's hard to access that information in a way that we can use consciously. By talking about it or writing about it, we push the information into the conscious mind and it allows us a little bit more access to like, you know, what is actually going on here? It's one of the reasons coaching and therapy works in the way that it does is because it's drawing information from the unconscious into the conscious. So Bringing compassion is probably the first thing. The minute you hear yourself judging, and this is where meditation would come in, you'd be like, oh, I'm judging myself. I can let that go. I want to ask myself some more questions here and explore it. So try and imagine that you're dealing with somebody you love who's telling you this issue. And, you know, what would you ask them? How would you guide them through? Try to ask more questions than make statements. So rather than, don't worry, it'll be okay. Rather ask yourself a question. 
What is it that you're worrying about? What do you think is going to happen? What is the story you're telling yourself? You know, anything like that, that allows more information to come, largely because statements of like, everything's going to be okay, are the kinds of things we've grown up with that were more or less versions of, don't feel what you feel. You can squash that now. There's no reason to be upset. There's nothing to be upset about here. Stop crying. You're fine. Those kinds of things. We What we actually want to do is bring the emotion to the surface and allow it to release. And then we can much more easily move forward because the emotion is no longer blocking. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you said, so much of this is happening at a subconscious level. And actually our habits are created from our thoughts. So this is why you're talking about going back to those thoughts, going back to those feelings. What am I actually feeling? Allowing it to come to the surface. If I find so much value in what you're sharing. I do the same. It's journaling. It's speaking out loud. It's doing something, even talking it out loud to friend if you need to, you know, it's a way to process it and to allow it to come up. And like you say, with coaching, you know, you get asked these questions, don't you? And we ask our clients questions to allow them to draw up what's actually going on that they're, they're not even aware of. So all these thoughts, there's these thoughts and there's these feelings that are really impacting the actions that we take. And it's because we're taking the actions consistently over time, it becomes habit, right? It becomes yeah. part of the program. So everything really comes down to thoughts and the way we think and how we think. And that's how we create new habits. It's how we eliminate old habits, replace old habits. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Because I think that's so helpful because I'm, I know that people will be ne- you know, dealing with this right now and trying to create change. Yeah, I think... The compassion is such a big part. And I think also expect, I don't want to say expect less because that sounds wrong. But what I mean by that is like if you're trying to exercise or you're trying to do something in your business that's really huge or you're trying to change a monumentous habit that you've struggled with for a long time, most of the information we have available to us is like go big or go home. You know, so if you're going to do an exercise program, you're going to rock up the gym and you're going to do a full hour or 90 minutes or whatever it is, and you're going to do it three times a week and so on and so on. And habits habits rely on an emotional reason for being in place. They need to feel good. And if going to the gym for an hour, yes, it feels good after you've done it, but then it leaves you running around because you're late for something else. You haven't got enough time to finish everything your body's sore, like all of that stuff, the unconscious embedding is, this is pain. I do not like it. Please make it stop. (laughs) And so eventually it does because you actively fight yourself to keep the habit in place. A much simpler way is to create a much smaller habit that you can be consistent with. So this is the work of BJ Fogg. He wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And it's there's a lot in the book about kind of creating habit recipes. So if you are looking for habit change, I mean, I recommend this book quite a lot, but a lot of people say it's very American, which again, I don't think is is a bad thing because that's associated with like, you know, positivity and growth mindset and all of those things. And BJ Fogg definitely has that. But the ideas in the book are really centered around just commit to the tiniest thing. So if your exercise regime is one sit-up, so be it. Do your one sit-up every day. And it's not about tricking yourself. It's not about saying, okay, I'm just going to do one sit-up. Oh, look, yeah, I did two. It's about saying that is all I commit to. And once I've done it, I have succeeded. Yeah. And the goal is ultimately to create consistency because habits don't embed until they're consistent. And every single time you do them, literally every single time, no matter how old you are, the brain continues to create neural pathways to support the habit. So having a habit that you do every single day, day in, day out, without fail, will embed a pathway that over time will allow you to grow the habit into something bigger should you choose to do so. But the other thing is that you never sort of stray into the pain. So as an example, like a couple of nights ago, I didn't sleep particularly well. I exercise every morning and I have done for years now, but I only commit to five minutes of exercise per day. That is my commitment. And once it's done, it's done. And so on that morning, I got up, I did five minutes and I stopped. End of story. On another day, I might do 40 minutes because I'm capable of doing that now because I've been doing it for years. But on the days where I don't feel like it, 
I never do nothing. I always do five minutes. And so if you can find whatever the tiniest version is for you, you know, one minute of meditation, one push-up, one floss between one set of teeth, like, you know, one tooth, whatever. You can't floss between one tooth, but you know what I mean. Anything that is a habit that you really resist, if it's cutting down on particular foods, you know, take out one biscuit, always have an 11 o'clock biscuit. Well, take that one out, leave everything else, take that one out, but gradually do that. And over time, you'll notice your discipline developing. You'll notice your ability to go, actually, that doesn't bother me very much at all. So I can probably do more. And then you're ready and you can. I love that because exactly what you said, like we are, we're being conditioned to just do it all in. Well, there's instant gratification as well. So we're ready to, when we make a decision, we want something, we have it like the next day, Amazon, all the rest of it. Like we expect instant results from everything and we do the same to ourselves. We expect instant results from anything we're doing in our business, even though it takes people months and years to get results from the things that we're doing, right? So I love that because I was always someone that would be like, right, I'm going to have this big goal and I'm going to have it done by tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or I'll go to the gym and I'm going to lose a stone in a week and I'm going to go five times a week. And then at the end of the five times that week, you know, I've made myself ill or burnt out or something. So then I can't go. And then you're really, really hard on yourself. Then you think you can't do it. Then you're more resistant to change the next time because you're carrying these experiences with you, carrying, you're impacting your self-image. So you're telling yourself you're a failure. You've got the negative inner dialogue going, which is just really reducing what you're willing to do as well and what you feel capable of doing. So I really like the idea of picking something and starting off small with the view that I can do much more than this, but even on my hardest day, I'm going to commit to that because that's my commitment and that's who I am now. So again, we're incorporating this new habit into our identity because as soon as it's part of our self-image then we just do it it's like the gym you know if it becomes part of how you see yourself consciously and subconsciously then even when it's raining and it's six o'clock in the morning and it's dark and it's cold and it's wet you just automatically get out of bed and get yourself to the gym because you can't imagine not doing it it's sort of getting to that that's when it becomes automatic right that's when it's embedded that's when it becomes part of who you are but when you try to go too big too soon, we're setting ourselves up to fail most of the time, aren't we? Rather than setting ourselves up for success. So anything, I guess you'd say, if it feels like it's going to be a challenge, if it feels like it's something easy, then just go for it. But if it feels like it's something that's been there for a long time and is going to be a challenge, then start small, but start and be consistent. Yeah. And also remember that you are pitting, when you start something new, you are literally pitting your conscious mind against your unconscious mind. Yeah. You are pitting David against Goliath. Mm. Like this is a mammoth undertaking to use the conscious mind to divert and reroute the unconscious mind. You know, we're taught about willpower. It's not a sustainable force in the long term. It just isn't. So what you are wanting to cultivate is the discipline of a habit at a level that you can sustain for a long time. And you can do so without stressing yourself out and without fighting. And so you basically find your own recipe for doing that. And a lot of people will say, you know, but you know, I've got a holiday in a month and I wanna go on a diet and I wanna lose the weight, or I've got a deadline for work and I've got this thing I need to get out there. In those situations, willpower can absolutely sustain you. You can hold it for a period of time, but what I will guarantee is that your old habits will return as soon as whatever the thing is that you were gunning for is done, you will be back where you started. This is one of the reasons more than 85% of dieters in things like Weight Watchers and so on generally regain the weight because there's something that they're gunning for. And once they reach it, because it's been a me against me, me against a stronger version of me, but I managed to overpower them in the moment, eventually because underlying subconscious work hasn't been done yeah that pattern re-emerges completely willpower is finite and yeah we end up exhausting ourselves trying to do it and that's why most habits don't take why most diets don't work is because we're just using willpower rather than like you said everything so much of all of this work is at the subconscious level so much of it it's like we can think we can try and think positively in our conscious mind but when we've got beliefs that are going against us all the time then, and they're going to be driving our behavior too, then we'll last a week. And then we've suddenly forgotten even any of that positive stuff. Yeah. And we're 
back to thinking negatively and looking at, you know, we just, we resort back to all of our habitual ways of being, of thinking, of feeling, because it's just all habit, isn't it? We are, it's our paradigm. It's, it's a subconscious program and it's controlling everything we do. It's controlling all the results that we get. It is running the show for us, which is why awareness is so important, isn't it? And the exercises you've talked about is really, really important when we're struggling to actually understand what's going on down there so that we can actually start to address it. Yeah. You know, you've just made me think about something else as well, and that's the driving force behind the habit. Mm-hmm. So as an example, if we take weight loss as an example, I know I keep referring to non-work ones, but they're often so much easier for people to relate to. Yeah. And we're all going through them too, right? <laughs> we all yeah. have the personal habits too. But if the driving force, like if you start a diet because you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my God, I hate myself. I'm disgusted by myself. You know, these are the kinds of things I used to say to myself. When you diet, you stop feeling disgusted by yourself because you start to look in the mirror and think, oh, good, I look good. But the driving force was disgust. So when the driving force is gone, Mm. so is the willpower to deal with it because there's no reason to anymore. I'm not disgusted by myself. I quite like myself and I quite fancy a piece of cake. So there we go. So when you start something, starting it from a place of self-judgment generally is a recipe for failure because somewhere along the line built into your motivation is the need to feel disgusted or to hate yourself or to feel something's wrong and needs fixing. The minute you get far enough along the line of progress to no longer feel that way about yourself, your motivation is going to dip. A stronger way for longer term change is to start thinking, A, like, why do I want this in the first place? What is driving me to feel that I need to do this? So if you're like, you know, I have to build this business, it has to be a million pound business, it has to be this, it has to be that, I have to be seen this way. One of the things I encourage my clients to do is to delve underneath that. Like, where did that come from? And a really simple exercise people can do just listening to this is imagine yourself just waking up one day, and everyone is gone. Like there is nobody here except you. So now you can have anything because you can walk into any house. No one's going to stop you. You can drive any car. No one's going to stop you. You can eat what you like. You can do what you like. There's nobody here. Imagine living like that for several months. What do you still want at Mm. the end of that, you know, like three months, six months, What do you care about? The likelihood is most people will be like, I don't really, I'm not that bothered about the flash car anymore. I don't really need the designer handbag because there's no one to see the designer handbag. I don't really care. Not that bothered about most things because I miss people and I miss, you know, like what it starts to sort of level out. What really is driving you? What really do you care about? And what have you learned to care about? Because the people around you care about those things. So true. So, so true. I did a live recently about goals. And, you know, one of the things that gets in our way is when they're not really true desires. So we're setting these things that we don't really want. We want because people think we should have it or because we've been conditioned by everything on social media about being in business that, you know, like you said, pulling that figure, the seven figures or the 10K months or whatever it is, it's like we're being conditioned to think that's what we have to have. And then when we look underneath that, we suddenly realize it's because we're telling ourselves that that's the only way we can be successful. If I have that, I'm successful. If I have that, I'm respected. If I have that, I'm worthy. Right. And it's like, ah, so I think that's, it's so important to get past, get down underneath that surface level desire and then say, why do I want this health vitality? You know, I want to spend more time with my children. I want to be running around with my children. I want to have all the energy. I want to wake up and feel good and create that environment in my home. So it's, you know, I'm radiating and everyone's feeling that energy from me. You know, when you make it more emotionally charged like that and actually a much deeper desire, then that's going to compel you more to creating that change. It's going to drive you more towards pleasure and instead of driving you away from pain, right? Yeah. And that's, that is precisely why habits are so important. Because if you're thinking about a habit, you're thinking about right now in the moment, things. Whereas when you set goals, your mind goes off somewhere else in time. So what most of us do is we will give up today in pursuit of tomorrow. And that's very poor motivation in terms of habits. It's also very poor self-care in terms of stress management and burnout, because the patterns that we embed 
are ones where we take ourselves out of our present experience mm. and throw ourselves into some future where everything's going to be better. Yeah. But we can't make everything better at some point in the future without making it better today. Yeah. So basically, if anyone listening is doing what I was doing, which was half killing myself in the pursuit of some later calm, peace, enjoyment of life, it's not coming. Like, no. the, the trick is to figure out how do I keep showing up in my business? How do I keep showing up for myself or my family? How do I keep showing up for all of those things in a way that feels good today? The habits that you need to address will fall out from underneath that question. I just think that's such a powerful conversation. And I really, really love that you brought it up. What was the phrase you used? If you set most people sacrificing today in pursuit of tomorrow. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. And it's just so powerful for so many reasons on so many levels. But like we spoke about earlier, we only ever have today, the present moment. And that tomorrow could we could spend six years doing the same thing over and over in pursuit of tomorrow. And we could have wasted six years doing the things that we really, really care about, spending that, those special moments. You know, like you spoke about with your son and brushing the teeth, like those moments that just come that we're not necessarily expecting, but because we're not being present and we're just chasing, chasing, chasing. Mm -hmm. And of course, when we bring law of attraction into it, all the time we're chasing, we're in lack. Yeah. We don't have what we want and we are not a vibrational match for it. We are far away from it. So actually, all we're going to be doing is attracting more more situations, people, circumstances, thoughts, ideas. We're attracting all of this to keep us in that place there and then. Whereas, and you'll hear it with anyone that teaches law of attraction, is the more present you get, the more you can love your life now, even if it's not where you want to be. If you can accept it and appreciate the parts of it that you really, really do love, then you're going to bring in what you want so much faster than chasing. So actually, like living for today in pursuit of tomorrow and just in pursuit of joy and happiness is going to bring everything that you want anyway. And it's going to give you a much happier life, but you know, it's no, it's just, again, it's conditioning and we've been taught to even go after our goals. Right. So even that phrase, it's like, it has us with the image of sort of running to go and get something to bring it back to us. Yeah, so it's just yeah. how we've, we've been conditioned, but we just don't need to be like that. We can live a happy life, a fulfilling life and we'll create more success and abundance than you know, we were ever, we could ever imagine from yeah. chasing after something. Absolutely. So, and I think what you said there about like, we can live a happy life. I think for me, my ability to live a happy life came from my ability to face discomfort. So mm. I wasn't happy with my life. And what I tried to do in the early stages was be happy with my life and say, you know, everything's great. I thought that's what positive thinking was. Mm. And what I've come to realize is that when you're not happy with your life, your emotions are communicating with you. It's useful to pay attention to them. You're not being negative. Say, so, well, what am I not happy with? What is it? What are the rules that I feel kind of being violated? What are the boundaries that people are crossing? Or what are the things, how am I kind of hiding parts of myself? Or how am I pretending to be something I'm not? Or how am I doing showing up in my business, showing up in my family, showing up in my marriage, whatever it is, in ways that ultimately something's not right. It mm. doesn't feel good to me. Exploring that and being really uncomfortable with the exploration, and this is often why people need coaches because it's not always easy to do this work by yourself because you do want to shy away from it if you're not used to doing it. But once you can go into that, happiness lies beyond that. Mm. It's the ability when your happiness is not in jeopardy by a negative emotion or an uncomfortable emotion, when you can still be okay, even when things are hard, because A, you know it'll pass, and B, you know how to deal with it, and you know how to be with yourself and help yourself, all of life's little stresses become a hell of a lot easier. But when you're trying to be positive and like, yeah, everything's fine, or when you have very strict conditions under which life needs to perform those things become really uncomfortable it doesn't take a lot to knock you off center mm. and that yeah. makes everything harder it's just so much more work totally and I totally agree with the um what do they call it toxic positivity don't they mm. is just it's not about pretending that you love your life and you're happy with your life right now it's accepting where you are and accepting so powerful 
And like you say, well, like I said, there'll be parts of your life that are amazing. We're just not looking at it and we're not seeing it and we're not appreciating it. But the parts that we don't, like, let's address it because what we are not changing, we are choosing. And that's quite, you know, a shocker of a statement, isn't it? What we're not changing, we're choosing. And when we start seeing it like that, then maybe we'll be a bit more motivated to, like you say, go into that uncomfortable work. Of course, it's, it isn't comfortable, but this is personal growth. And, you know, we want to become that next version of ourselves. And if we're stuck in a situation or an environment or a condition or a circumstance that we want to change, then we have to be those change makers. Absolutely. So we do have to get uncomfortable and just, and it really is just sort of facing up to ourselves a lot of this, isn't it? Facing up to our past, all these things that we've shoved down and hidden down for years and years and years because we didn't want to deal with it. Because again, it's a coping mechanism. It's what we've learned, isn't it? To survive. So yeah, a lot of this stuff on this journey, we are untangling and uncovering and releasing a lot of stuff that's been there for a long time. Absolutely. But that's why also I would say, coming back to that whole thing about compassion, you know, because a lot of us, this was again, part of my issue was I'd be like, well, if I'd heard what you said earlier in my life, you know, even just a few years back, if somebody had said to me, what you're not changing, you're choosing. Oh, I could have beat myself with that stick. Yeah, yeah. Easy. But honestly, I I cannot advocate for compassion and acceptance. Yes, yeah. There's no, I don't have enough words to say, like, take your own hand and walk with yourself. Yeah. Find a way. Yes, so far, you haven't changed it. There's no going back. We can't do anything about that. Acceptance. But right now, yeah, right now. So we're back to presence again. Now you are conscious of it. Now you have the opportunity to make another choice. Where habits come in is you've had a lot of practice. If you've been practicing something you've kept in place, you know, I'm 47, I think. I, I can never remember my age. <laughs> you stop counting after sure. a while, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in my 40s. Yeah. But I've had a lot of habits that have been there for a long time. Making a choice today is just one that's got to stack up against, yeah. you know, 40 plus years. Totally. So, be gentle with yourself and know that your habits work because precisely because they are not conscious. Mm. So when you slip, take your own hand, figure out what you're trying to change, figure out what the driving force is and take another step forward. Like it's not over. Habits work this way. You are, you won't get a hundred percent clear run. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. But the the more compassionate you are, the faster you get back up. Oh, Self-judgment is a that. very nice way to kick yourself while yeah. you're down. Totally. And I think that's such a powerful way to end this podcast is on the topic of self-compassion. So thank you for bringing that up. It's so, so important because all the time we're judging ourselves, we're being critical of ourselves. Again, we are impacting that self-image that we hold of ourselves, which is going to be limiting what we're willing to do, how we're willing to show up. It's going to be creating more negatively charged emotions down there in our subconscious it's going to be giving more power to limiting thoughts and beliefs and memories that we've had from the past we're just stacking all of these limits and all it ends up being is fight within ourselves and actually we are all born completely perfect completely unique we are all so worthy and deserving it's just our conditioning that's over the years and the and the sort of the conclusions we've come to about ourselves that make us feel that we're not, but we absolutely are. And the more we can open up to ourselves and see ourselves, this is why I do inner child work with my clients, because it's about recognizing that part of us inside that is just vulnerable and scared and full of fear. And it's, you know, this is part of the ego, isn't it? And it's shouting and it's saying, don't change, don't change, change is scary. And it's the more compassion we can find for ourselves, the less resistance, the less loud that voice will be, the more we see value in ourselves. the easier everything will get. The more we see value in ourselves, the more other people see value in us. And that's just going to reflect out of us and we can start losing the judgment. And it's not just judgment of ourselves. We stop judging other people because we've stopped judging ourselves, right? And it's just like love is just the most powerful force in this universe for anything and everything. So, and love for yourself is just so crucial on this journey. So it's like, how can we create that relationship with ourselves. And actually, like you said, see yourself as your best friend, see yourself as your child, see yourself, hold your own hand and treat yourself the way you would only ever treat anyone else. And just become aware of those thoughts that are going on in your mind, 
that are saying, oh, I knew you couldn't do it. You did it again. See, you messed up again. It's just becoming aware of that and just responding with love for yourself, Mm -hmm. giving yourself an internal hug. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's just amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. There's one last question Mm. that I'd love to ask you. So this podcast is called Magnetic Success. And as we know, success is in the eye of the beholder. Like everyone's definition of success is different. Uh, It's relative, it's personal. So I would love to know from you, what is your definition of success? I I probably should have prompted you with that one. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great because you'll, you'll get my sort of top of mind answer. I think success is, for me, enjoying today. Mm. If this is the last one I get, was it enough? When I live that way, I feel successful. Oh my God. I love that so much. That's brilliant. What a way to end it. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming and speaking with us and sharing all your wisdom. I'm going to leave some links for you in the show notes. Is there, you know, can people follow you? What would you like to leave as information in the show notes? Sure. So probably the best place is LinkedIn, just under my name, Natalie Britt. Okay. I also have a Facebook group. It's called the Big Happy Life Habits Academy for Entrepreneurs. So you can join that and I just post, you know, kind of tips. Or if there's anything in particular that you're struggling with, you can ask and I can help you with that. And then I'm on Instagram, big underscore happy life, all the usual places. You'll find me either under my name, Natalie Britt, or under big happy life, my business name. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'll make sure that all the links are in the um, show notes for anyone watching YouTube or on podcasts. So thanks again. It was such a pleasure to speak to you. Really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, good luck with everything. um, Maybe we'll get together again and speak about time. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it's inspired you to unlocking more of the success that's already within you. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of the episode and all the important links. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode and that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps me figure out how I can serve and support you moving forward. And if you want to go deeper, follow me on the grams at Kirsty Kamarowskis for more inspiration or visit my website at www.mindmuse.co.uk.